podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are recapping a not controversial, even in the slightest bit, game for the Kansas Jayhawks against the TCU Horn Frogs. And then, of course, we also have on the women's side, we had uh, Kansas going on the road to take off te- to, to uh, take on Texas Tech. Um, yeah, there was some weirdness going on this weekend. To help me break it all down, as he usually does, it is my deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising, Kyle Davis. Kyle, how you doing today? Uh, I'm cold, but I'm good. I'm I am I've ventured out way too much. It's, it's oh, I know. Seriously, all day. They no. uh they actually literally just before we started recording, they went ahead and canceled school for tomorrow for us over here in uh, in Overland my, Park. My so. kids and wife, who is a teacher, are, are anxiously refreshing. Uh, yeah, they want to. They want to know that it's not happening. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, you know, looking forward to uh, trying to fight through all the snow and everything to get over to Lawrence for the games coming up. But um, we obviously have two women's games coming up this week, uh, both at home. Let's start with the women because the women falling to Texas Tech, um, you know, in uh, down in Lubbock. The main thing I want to talk about here is I don't know what's going on, but, you know, with how much you've seen, any idea what's going on with this team giving up so many three-pointers? Because it's now the third game in a row where they've given up a, just a, a unreal amount of uh, um, of three-pointers. It's just been ridiculous. Yeah. When three-point defense is one of those things that it's it's semi-skewed with luck. And, you know, like it, it's one of those things where it's like there's, there's certain stats that, you know, it's, it's, that's if, if just the analytical people and, and there's obviously a value for analytics, but sometimes it's tough because certain things are certain areas of the game are more in your control than not in your control. And three point defense is one of those that is less in your control as you can. Obviously, if you never get out to the line and you're giving people just wide open shots all game, they're going to have a better chance to make them. But it's such a wide variance of a shot and the you know most difficult shot. That's why it's worth the most amount of points. It's, you know, it's one of those tough things where um, it's just, it's not necessarily, clearly maybe something's going on with the defense where they're not rotating quick enough or something, but also some of it's just like, it can be bad luck. And and three-point shooting is also one of the more streaky areas of the game too, where you can go on, you know, it's very much also like a kind of a confidence um, area of the game where you can be driven to, you know, you're playing out of your mind and just the basket looks huge or no matter what you do. And even though you have wide open looks, the basket looks tiny and you can't make it. And so I think if this is something where it's a small enough sample size, if it continues, then yes, it's probably a problem with the defense. Um, But as for right now, it's one of those things that chalk up to like, it might be a little bit, but it's also probably a little bit just bad luck slash, you know, a hot streak for teams that's probably going to balance out over the course of a full year. Yeah, normally I wouldn't be too concerned about it, but I mean, this is the third game in a row where the team that they faced has just gone off from three. Um, you know, and and yes, Iowa State, it's weird because Iowa State is a team, they have a bunch of really big players on the inside, um, but they shoot so many more threes than you would think that they would, and partly because they have big, you know, big... Uh, the girls that can actually shoot the three as well. And so that definitely helps, but you know, Kansas held them to like one of 11 or something like that in the first half. And then in the second half gave up nine of 11. So it was just, it was awful. Um, the way that that actually happened. And 
You know, I mean, Kansas has, uh, I don't know, it's it's been weird because this is a team that you look at what they do and you look at the way they play and you look at the talent that they have. And they should be, I think, a better team than they have been. Um, but it's also a team, I think, that, uh, like, it feels like they're missing a piece, not really quite sure what it is. Um, it, you know, depth has been an issue for this team for quite a while, but I don't think that that's what the issue is here. It just seems like... They get to the second half of the game, and then all of a sudden, stuff bogs down, and they're not really able to handle whatever it is. I mean, it happened against West Virginia. You know, they stayed fairly close, and then in the second quarter, West Virginia really took off, and, and you know, they weren't able to, to hold on at that point. Like, you thought going into halftime that they had a chance uh, to be able to come back, but never really materialized. Iowa State, they were up, you know, huge in the first quarter. Second quarter, they gave it all back. You know, and they were tied at 24 going into half. And then all of a sudden, you just had this ridiculous barrage of three-pointers uh, coming from Iowa State in that second half there. I do know that they were, let's see, I know that they were 9 of 11 in the second half. Um, yeah, and they were 10 of 20 on the on the day. So they were, they were one of their first nine. And then in the second half, they just shot absolutely ridiculous. Um, I just... It feels like there's something else going on there, but I don't really know what the issue is. You know, I will say that I think a lot of people, myself included, underestimated just how much this team misses a player like Chandler Prater. Like Paris, Paris Gaines has done a fairly good job at filling in with that kind of energy down low and, you know, kind of kind of scrappiness, but not at the same level as Prater, who was a starter for this team and, you know, was was one of those one of those key pieces, I think, for them. And so I do think that there's just something missing. Hopefully they get it turned around tonight. Or, you know, the, the, the game coming up is not going to do them any favors. They have Baylor coming into town, um, you know, a team that is uh, at the top of the conference and is expected to be one of the contenders for the conference this year. So the hope is that they can get it figured out soon and maybe, you know, steal that one or they can at least hold serve at home against Oklahoma State, who's coming this weekend. Um They've got to get stuff turned around quickly, I think, or else it's going to spiral completely out of control. Yeah, and you've seen like you've seen flashes of it, and that's the thing. It's like there's it, there's these runs and these spurts. You know, you mentioned it like in, in your recap of the the Texas Tech game. You know, an eight or run. You know, Mayberry at one point had seven straight points on her own, but then they immediately turn around and give up eight straight points like on, on you know right after that so it's like you see these spurts of really strong offense and, and good play and like even the Iowa State game you're getting off to a like a double digit lead in the in the first quarter if it didn't quite get to double digits it was you know eight or nine something like that <clears throat> but it's, it's just the so there's there's sparks there of really kind of cohesive play and, and strong offense and shots are falling it's just maintaining that level of consistency is where it's struggling. It seems like every time the Jayhawks go on a run, they give up and lo- uh, a run and make, you know, lose the momentum in there too. And it's just, it's a back and forth. And it's just, that's yeah, to your point, along with, you know, other really good performances, it just seems like they are really struggling to hold on to any sort of momentum and consistency. And they just can't keep that strong play going, you know, for, an entire quarter at a time, let alone a half or, or a full game. Yeah, it's just a little weird. Uh, I guess we'll, you know, we will obviously continue to cover them. I have no intention of stopping at all. And this is a team that I think has the potential, has the talent, has what they need to be successful. They just, for whatever reason, haven't been able to put it together. So I'm looking forward to seeing them actually be able to do that. 
maybe that's what they need is that game against Oklahoma State to kind of reset stuff, get back to remembering how to win um, in conference, and then go from there. Um, so, yeah, again, if you, if you, you know, it's going to be happening. Unfortunately, both of their games, I believe, because I believe the men are, are at the same time on Saturday as well, but we've got two games that are basically tipping off at the same time. Um, you know, it's 630 for the for the women on Wednesday night, whereas the men are at six o'clock down in UC, down at UCF, and then uh, I believe they're both at six thirty on Saturday as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of competing. I, you know, I would highly recommend having it up on your second screen. I will be. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be at the game Wednesday, depending on weather and all of that. But the game on Saturday, I should be there. Uh, you know, for the game against Oklahoma State. So, look, looking forward to that. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I just don't think there's very much else to talk about with the, the with the women's team right now. Samaya Nichols has been the you know the leading pretty much everything for this team across the board, um, which one I don't think was expected, and two I, I don't know that it's helpful to have one freshman who is well okay yeah so she's not the best rebound or Tiana Jackson has the most rebounds she has the most steals and the most blocks and but Samaya Nichols has the most points and assists so like I, I expect there to be a little bit more differentiation uh, in terms of who was the leaders of all those categories. And it just hasn't happened. So, all right, let's go ahead though, and jump over to the men. Um, look, we've got a ton of stuff that we could talk about here, but I think what everybody wants to talk about, you know, Kansas winning. Nick Timberlake's defensive performance. Oh, sorry. no, 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 no. I was going to say, I was going to say the, uh, the triumphant return of, uh, of Ernest Uday to be able to, you know, put up, um, you know, it was what a rebound, a block, and a and a um, I, I forget what. Oh, and an, and an assist in like the first five minutes of the game, like the, the, that was the yeah. big story, right? I I feel bad for for I always liked your day, and I was you know I, I was on there's the discussion going into the game of like you know does he get booed, and I was very much on team don't boo him. Like there's Which, certain times like it is I did all, not actually all... hear because of the broadcast. Did he get booed when he got in, introduced? There were maybe a couple, but I think it was more... It was a spattering was, of booze. It was a spattering. There was just as much applause, um, polite applause for him than there was booze. And it was one of the... You know, because it's one of those things where no, not everybody leaving is... Like, not every situation is created equal. Equal. He did not, you know, spurn them and... and like it, I, it's tough when it's a, it's a division or it's a conference opponent. But, you know, like, they, they brought in an All-American over him. But to make matters worse, not only did... We'll get to the stuff at the end and what Hunter Dickinson, the guy who kind of pushed him out the door, did. But then did you did you kind of realize that his only shot attempt was blocked by Parker Brown, who got brought in to basically serve his role? And so I feel oh bad for him because I I liked Uday a lot. I was I had I was driving the Uday junior season breakout like bandwagon. I wanted him to stay out of everyone who left. I understood most of them. He and MJ Rice were the ones that, like, I think I had the, you know, I was I was the most bummed out about, but obviously understood. Um, so yeah, it was well, it it was not the great. He did he went two for two from the line, um, which you know something he didn't do a whole lot last year. But yeah, not a not an excellent homecoming for him, and I do feel bad that he was at the he was at the center of a lot of what happened. Yeah, um, so I mean, let's let's go ahead and get it off. You know, take take care of it off the top here. Obviously, the big play of the game that everybody wanted to complain about was the flagrant one foul called against Ernest Duday um, with just over a minute left. Uh, he rebounded a ball. The ball was tipped in front of him. His elbow went back uh, and hit Hunter Dickinson in the face. And, 
you know, Hunter Dickinson went down. And, and, and I thought that Seth Davis and, and uh, Jay Wright had a good explanation of it in the CBS studio afterwards, you know, talking about how, first of all, there was contact. It probably should have been called a common foul, like in, you know, like just normally, like they should have stopped the play, a common foul. But once you get into that fast break situation and they decide not to call the common foul, then that means that you're looking at potentially, um, you know, TCU gets an opportunity to go ahead and go score and then they'll go back and look at it. Well, TCU turned around, PV had had the ball, turned around, tried to dish it out to somebody, which immediately ends the fast break opportunity. So, yeah, they're not allowed to stop the play in the middle of a fast break. Um, Although I do find it weird because, like, in that sort of situation, I I don't know that they would let them keep the points if they had scored and then they come and determine that it was a flagrant one. Like, that should be no points, I would think. But regardless, like... I think the the worst case scenario because because you can make the argument that there was a a foul by Hunter Dickinson on Uday at that point Uday should have gotten two more free throws like I think this is like best case you know scenario for TCU um, that he should have gotten some free throws to go with Hunter's free throws for the for the technical and then instead of being down by two when they get the ball back they're tied and then we just go from there like I think that overtime is was a realistic possibility there. And that's probably the best way to handle it. I did say live on the live blog that when I first saw it and then I saw the first replays, I was like, oh, that, I mean, that's probably a common foul on New Day because, you know, he swung his elbow back. You made contact with the head. Like, but it didn't look like it was necessarily a non-basketball move. But the more you look at it and then you see it in real time, like he's going forward, he's moving forward and his elbow comes all the way back behind him. I don't know how he you falls can in front of him. Yeah. yeah. Like again, you know, a lot of people are saying, Oh, well it wasn't intentional, right? Like he didn't mean to hit Hunter in the face. And it's like, yeah, but that's not the point. It doesn't have to be intentional. There are, that's, there, that's the, where it's a rule book issue. Like right. you can be mad at the rules, but then you got to change the rules. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander yeah. said it really well on the, the ion college basketball podcast that, uh, you know, They don't like – they felt really bad for TCU. I I felt really bad for TCU that that's how it ended. Um, You know, you can feel bad for TCU. You can say it feels wrong, that it shouldn't be that way. But that's the way the rules are written. There's nothing you can do about it unless you change the rules. Um, I do do agree that, like, you know, it it felt dirty. Like, it felt bad to have that be what ended up deciding the game. I mean, you know, but there's plenty of other things to point to – where calls were wrong and or they missed things or that happens in every game. I normally don't try to like to complain about them and say that, hey, that's the reason that people lost. I can understand why TCU fans seem to think that this is the reason that they lost. But, you know, I mean, they were in that situation. It was the, most, it was the right. final play. If, yeah, this would have happened in the in you know, With like 14 minutes, minutes left. left. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't have been a big yeah, deal. The, the, you know, because you look at there's even right before that, that Jameer Nelson Jr. got away with probably what should have been a push off on a basket that gave TCU a two point lead earlier in the game. There was a, um, a three pointer and I'm trying to remember who it was. I don't know if it was PV or, or well, it might've been uh Tennyson. It was, it, well, it was probably Tennyson cause he made six of them, but yeah. you know, he caught the ball near the baseline. He shot the ball without dribbling near the top of the key. And somehow he got there without taking more than two steps. Like if you watch the kind of play, it was a very, his his bringing his right foot around was his third step. You could have easily called it for a travel. They didn't. He made the three. Like you can go through. There's plenty of there's plenty of spots throughout the game. Again, I've said this for 
years now, it's like college college basketball referees are going to screw everyone over eventually. And and throughout the course of a game, like they will screw both teams over. The one that everyone gets hung up on is the one that happens last because they think that's the one that impacts, especially in a close game. But like, you know, like, like well, and also the one that Kansas benefits from. And that one, because, yeah, you don't want to talk about the others. But like, man, there's there were some rough calls throughout. I mean, I on both teams, like there's um, there were some non-contact that, you know, Kate, that I, I think it was KJ kind of got away with and on one, but then another one that was like clearly just, you know, like it was not a foul that they called a foul. It was, it went both ways for both teams. And it, it thinks that it was Uday. It thinks that it happened in the last minute of the game. And that's one of those things where like it, it can, it, two things can be true. Uh, you can not like the rule. It, it could be a, it could be a flagrant oh, on like, in the rule book right. and you can not it's a, like the call but it still be the right call it's like, a it flagrant right by the rule like book it. but it doesn't feel like it should have been a flagrant right i mean it's the same thing you know like it's the intent is that, like it's the same thing i was trying to think of the equivalent for football on some of like the the targeting or rough, roughing the passer where you know a guy slides at the last minute the defender's already going he's like what else do you want him to do yes he he hit him head to head but when he started to tackle the offensive player was you know, two feet higher up because he hadn't started to slide yet. Like, not it's still a foul. They're still going to throw it every time. Obviously, it wasn't malicious. You can tell the the difference there. And like, it's it stinks where it's one of those things where they have the rules to blanket protect, but like, there's going to be nuance. In yeah, there. and and, and the and, final thing that I'll kind of say on this is that there's a lot of people that point to it, and you know, the rule unfortunately is like they've grouped together two types of flagrant fouls. Right? There's the ones that are intentional contact that was unnecessary. Um, but then the other one is excessive contact from a non-basketball move. And it's like, yes, there was no intent at all. Like, I don't think he intended to elbow Hunter Dickinson in the face, but throwing an elbow like that has for years been considered a non-basketball move. So the minute that there's a non-basketball move and then he makes contact above the neck, you know, you know neck or shoulder or above the shoulders, that by rule is a flagrant. The only question at that point is, is it a flagrant one because there was no intent or is it a flagrant two because he was headhunting and, and trying to, you know, take someone out. So, um, yeah, it sucks for Uday. It sucks for, for TCU. I thought they played really well. And I, I think that says a whole lot more though, about the way, the strength of this conference than it says about, you know, like, Oh, this guy's falling for KU or anything like that. We'll talk more about kind of the other stuff going along here. But before we do that, I need to go ahead and throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. And we're back here with Kyle Davis. Uh, okay, so obviously that, that TCU game, there was the big controversy. But it's not like that was the only thing that happened in that game. So let's let's take a look. Um, you know, the streak did extend. Dewan Harris scoring 10 points and Kansas winning the game. Um, so, you know, they are undefeated when uh Dewan Harris scores 10 points and Bill Self is coaching at the same time so yeah I, I'm I'm really happy about that the, was that number 33 in a row of conference opening wins uh, uh yes I yes. think it's been since 92 it was the yes or yeah sometime around there it's basically it's, it's 1991 was the last loss I believe uh yeah it yeah, was yeah. uh so, it was man it was forever ago um yeah so Kansas you know extending all of those streaks um I don't you know, I, I take a look at the box score though, and and obviously Hunter Dickinson got the MVP. He had thirty points. Um, he had eleven rebounds, so he had another double double. Um, I, I this seemed to be one of those games where they didn't think they needed to double him, and he made them pay in some key spots. But 
I don't know that I would necessarily say like it felt like it was a quiet 30 and 11 from Hunter, which is really weird to say. It, well, he was scoring to, to Hunter's credit. He was scoring from all over the court. I mean, he had those kind of the baby the, hooks. He was the, the two threes three. at the beginning of the game. <laughs> but the most impressive thing, and I think one of the reasons why I think you have to give some credit, obviously not all of it, because Hunter, I mean, he had the first five points of the game. Like he started out hot and ready to go. But I think KJ Adams is again, one of those reasons why you can't just double him and push him out there because you know, KJ started seven, seven, seven from seven from the floor. And it was apparent, you know, I was, I was there and it was very clear that like, they were just, those two were going to dominate the boards and that's they're going into the game. They're just, you know what, Hunter and K- KJ were like, we're going to, we're going to grab every single offensive rebound. Now I wish they would have done a little bit better on the defensive rebounding because that's an area that still Kansas is, I think giving up too many offensive rebounds to their opponents, but like, you know, Kevin McCuller did not have a great shooting day. That was nullified a bit because it seemed like it seemed like either Hunter or KJ was was throwing down a dunk off of a Kevin missed three, you know, like three or four different times. Um, and that's one of those things where KJ not only is he throwing down alley oops, but you know he's got that little the the pick and roll soft like you know running kind of floater game from about seven feet out. Like his play and his efficiency and his now, you know, that was the thing we didn't really see early in the year was him doing a great job on the boards. We saw a lot of games where he only had three or four rebounds, especially on the offensive boards. I mean, those two alone had 14 offensive rebounds. That's three more than TCU had as a team. And just along that, like his, his efficiency, his ability to Hunter is a great passer. And I think they know that too. KJ's efficiency makes it really hard to then, do you got to you got to pick your poison. Are you going to double team Dickinson and completely shut him down like we've seen some teams try to do and it either goes well or it doesn't? Or do you respect KJ, leave Hunter on an island or leave Uday on an island with Hunter? And then on this one we saw like Hunter could just kind of pick his spot for most of the game. And so I think that's one of the scary things. I'm not going to say Jamie Dixon made the right call or the wrong call. I'm saying that's a really tough call to make now because you have to basically choose the lesser of two evils on any given night. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much an impossible call to make in terms of like, what's going to be the best. Um, Like you play to your strengths. And I I do think that TCU is one of the, one of the few teams with the length that they have and the quickness that they have, especially down low that they can try to take stuff away and don't necessarily have to double team to be successful against Hunter. But KJ Adams opens up so many weird passing lanes that you don't typically see because of his ability to kind of dart in and out uh, both high and low. And, and, you know, the vision that he has, like he's probably one of the best passers on the team. And I think the only reason he's not the best passer on the team is because Dwan Harris is on this team. Like if you didn't have Dwan Harris, then I think KJ Adams would be far and away the best passer. So um, yeah, it was very, uh, it was very nice to see him have a good game that we expected. It really kind of took some of the pressure off of Dickinson and allowed him, I think to play better than he has been in the last few because he's not being double teamed. Um, you know, I, I, I do look around the rest of the roster though. Like, yeah, KJ had 18, Hunter had 30, um, you know, McCuller had 16, Dewan had 10, and then you only got nine points from guys on the bench. That's probably not sustainable for this team. They really, I think, well, and, and especially when you have a Marco Jackson who, you know, didn't score at all, uh, took three shots, missed all of them. You know, he didn't really do much, uh, in this game. And I don't know how much of it was 
the way the game plan was set up, they just didn't go through him very much, or if he really struggled. I do think at least part of it was it looked like every time he got the ball, TCU had a guy with a hand in his face, and you know the the length of TCU definitely seemed to bother Jackson quite a bit. And and their speed. I mean, if you if you want to find um, the comparison to TCU in kind of high major conference, it's Marquette. They both are in the top. 15 in their tempo they play fast they're both in the top 15 and in, enforcing in turnovers and especially steals and they're both really good at they're both i think in the top 20 of um two-point uh offense so i guess tcu where do they fall now oh they're right at 20th so they're both in the top 20 and two-point offensive percentage so uh that is like and also that happens to be i think what this KU's team just kind of kryptonite is that's what they're going to struggle against teams that play really fast that put a lot of pressure on you on and on the ball who force steals and then they're really good at finishing in the in the lane because then if they make threes it's just you know kind of an added bonus like we saw tcu tcu shot way ahead of its three-point percentage for the year um this year and that's kind of gravy for them that's also what hurts for a young guy like our Mar- marco jackson and you can just see he's not quite um used to this kind of competition level speed like it looked like the game was just a little too fast for him and again so like it it didn't surprise me he didn't play that well because he didn't play well and i went back actually and looked and then the marquette game he was uh oh for three with three assists and two turnovers one rebound so like he was pretty much he only played 21 minutes in that game uh and that was one where they they relied on a lot of uh, you remember Timberlake, yes, but also Jamari McDowell got 10 minutes in that one. So, like, I think this is just the type of opponent that a young guard is going to struggle with, and he very clearly did. Um, but I will say the the bench showed me some stuff, and outside of even the points, like Nick Timberlake's defense, I thought there was a – if we can get to kind of Kansas's problems in this one, but I think overall if I had to sum up the problems with that game, it was awareness – not only was it errant passes and turnovers, but I don't know how many times, again, like the ball would just kind of be bouncing and TCU was just faster to it. And it seemed like, you know, Hunter a couple of times would shoot it and then just started running down the court. The ball bounced right where he would have been to get an offensive rebound, but he just turned his back. Like there was no awareness there, but I thought Timberlake was like the one who was scrapping and twice diving out of bounds to save balls. Yes. He made a couple shots. I thought Parker, uh, you know, Parker made, you know, good use out of, um, out of his seven minutes, he had a nice block. Even um, or no, sorry, that was still the the old game there. I guess uh, what did Parker have? He had five minutes, but he, you know, still played really good defense and and you know didn't let Uday do anything while Hunter got a break. So I, I don't think it was. You're right. I don't think it's sustainable for this group. But I also at least am am liking that we're seeing some other things than just scoring uh, out of the bench and slash Almarco. But I guess the I, I'm kind of torn here because it's like, man, I would like some more consistency with these guys, but at least it does seem like when two of them look terrible, then suddenly two of them look much better, right? Like, Omarco has, like, Timberlake struggled. You feel like you can't play him well. Omarco shows some flashes, and he looked really good against, you know, Wichita State. Omarco looks terrible in this game. Well, Nick Timberlake suddenly is playing outstanding defense, which he hadn't done yet this year, knocks down a three and scores five quick points. It, it's It's one of those things that kind of, you know, it's been KU's persona in a lot of years, too, where it's like, whose night's it going to be? We don't really know. We have a couple guys who can do it. That's kind of what the bench feels like. It's almost like roulette. We're going to spin the wheel, and out of Furphy, 
uh, Timberlake, Jackson, and maybe McDowell slash, you know, Parker, who are the two out of the five who are going to have really good nights? If Kansas has two of the five that play really well, they're still going to have a chance to win a lot of games. Um, you would like more of them too, but it's just like it's impossible to predict almost which one's going to do it on any given night. Yeah. There is one thing, though, that you don't have to worry about not being great, and that would be the collection for the Kansas Jayhawks and multiple other schools over at our sponsor at the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage clothing company that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. They have all kinds of great stuff. They don't just have... Big 12 stuff. They are a Big 12 focused company that really loves to work with Big 12 schools. And as such, they have uh, deals with all of the Big 12 schools except for Cincinnati. Um, but they also have, you know, Chiefs and, and other hometown stuff here based in Kansas City because they are a company that's based here in Kansas City and they want you to be the best dressed fan this season. So go over to charliehustle.com, use promo code 101215, that's T E N 1215. And you can get 15% off of all non-sale items that are over there at Charlie Hustle. They have, look, they have so many great things. They have the, uh, you know, all of the NIL shirts for all the basketball players. They have uh, Jackson Dick, Dickinson. They have uh, Dewan Harris. They also have uh, KJ, or I'm sorry, they have KJ Adams and, and McCuller. I haven't actually seen a Harris one, although I, I wouldn't be shocked if they end up putting one out there. But they've got so many different things that you are going to find that you're absolutely going to love. So again, charliehustle.com, promo code 101215, get 15% off of all non-sale items. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right. So, I mean, I don't know how much else there actually is to talk about with this game because, like you said, not very many of the bench players actually contributed too much. Like, Jamari McDowell had one minute with one turnover. Like, that was his entire stat line for this game. Um I do want to, though, talk about just like the Big 12 in general because, you know, Kansas, um, well, I'm sorry to say, Houston took over the, the, the number two spot in the, in the top 25 polls today, um, which I don't know that I'm necessarily that surprised with given that they're undefeated and just how badly they beat West Virginia, no matter how bad you think West Virginia is going to be this year. Um, but looking at the Big 12 as a whole, like, sure, West Virginia is going to struggle, you think. You think that UCF is probably going to struggle. Um, Oklahoma State's probably going to struggle. But other than that, like, looking at the conference top to bottom, you know, what's your overall impression of this of this uh, conference after just obviously just one game of conference play, but still? Yeah, it seems like there's, there's a group that we kind of know you can trust. There's a group where you think they might be good, but they just haven't played any good games, and you don't really know what to do with them. Like, that was kind of what... <laughs> BYU-Cincinnati was a weird matchup on Saturday because both of those teams were like, okay, you have great records. You haven't beaten anybody. Uh, we BYU was ranked and really led the, the computers loved them. Cincinnati, not so much, and Cincinnati got the win. You know, Texas Well, and the main issue like, with BYU is that they rely so much on the three. Like, of their 16... Right, they had one player make nine threes, and they still lost the game. Yeah, I think they had 69 like total shots, and they took 41 of them from three. So, yeah, that's the epitome of, like, you, you were living and dying there yeah. by that. Um, gold. I, I mean, I think we saw, that like, TCU, this is one of those things where, like, the, the Big 12 is just going to be a gauntlet, and it's going to be a grind every single night. And these teams who, you may I don't know how good they are, but, like, what for whatever reason, like, they, they're going to play well. And, they're like, TCU is going to just, like, out-physical and hustle a lot of teams out there. And so – Houston's fascinating because um, they still haven't played anybody really. Like they get a lot of credit for beating a really bad West Virginia team at home by a lot. And it's the first game of the year. And I don't think it's necessarily one or two games that 
really prove to you, like, if you can make it, it's when we get into the second week of February and you've played three ranked teams in four games over the course of two weeks and, like, you know, two of them are on the road and, and um, which actually I think happens with Houston coming up They with in terms of just, like, late in the year they go, you know, Texas, Iowa State, Baylor, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and then, you know, a UCF game and then Kansas. Like, there's – they go, you know – BYU, Texas, Kansas in a in in a four game stretch there at the end of January, early February. So like they're, we're going to find out. You can't really hide or or trick people in the Big Twelve. Like you get exposed if you're not actually that good. And so I think this is going to be another really good league. I don't think we know what to do with a lot of the teams yet. Again, like if you look at Kim Palm, <laughs> Houston's projected to to win the game by or the league by four games. I I don't see how that happens. Um, they, you know, Ken Palm has Baylor and Kansas sharing second place. That just, I don't think any team is going to win the game by four games. Now, the league by four games. It is weird now um, with the unbalanced schedule. Like the first thing that happened after the TCU game is I was like, oh man, when do we go to Fort Worth? Like that's going to be a fun yeah, one. We don't. Nope. We don't go. We don't go to Fort Worth. Like that's just a home game. Um, so that's going to be weird. And actually, that's where it favors Kansas a lot because Kansas is. Four games that are only on the road are UCF, West Virginia, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. And you have to feel like UCF and West Virginia are, if you lose those, there's going to be a problem. Uh, Texas Tech looks feisty, but they're also dealing with a lot of issues around their best player. And I don't know how long he is going to be there. Google it if um, if you're unfamiliar with what we're talking about. It involves um, a minor and some alcohol and some not, not great, great stuff. stuff. Yep. Uh, and then Iowa State's always going to be tough at home, so that's one, you know. But like, it's it's. But but obviously, or I'm sorry, but but honestly, this is an Iowa State team that doesn't. They're not. They're not the kind of Iowa State team we're used to seeing because they they don't really know what they're right. doing on offense right now. Um, I mean, Kansas, you know, they only have like three weeks essentially to figure out offense when Kansas comes to town, and I, I do think that they're going to be able to to put up a really big fight. But you know, I'm glad that they have that they travel up to Iowa State. Um, you know, late January instead of late February. Right. But this is, it looks like this is going to be another conference that is led by defense. Um, like right now in Ken Palm, you have four teams in the top seven in adjusted defensive efficiency. You only have two teams in the top 10 of offensive efficiency. So this really does feel like, again, like one of those vintage big 12 seasons where like, it's going to be like, a defensive grinded out battle um, with a couple of offensive explosions here or there. But yeah, I think, you know, Kim Palm has big 12 as the best conference in, in, for like adjusted efficiency. It's above the big East at number two right now. Um, pretty solidly. I mean, uh, above the, the big East right now. So I, I think on some of these teams, it's too early to tell, like, honestly, if you go through the rankings right now, I feel like I know who Houston is. I think I know who Baylor is for better or worse. I think I'm starting to know who Oklahoma is, although not overly confidently. I know Kansas is, but then like Cincinnati, Texas Tech, BYU, Iowa State, Texas, I have no idea. I, I don't know how it, you know, I actually, I think I know where Texas, who, who Texas is and is going in the wrong direction. But the thing is, is that even if you look at like an Oklahoma State who took Baylor to overtime this weekend at home, like that's going to happen. There's going to be a top team in this league that's going to get caught in Stillwater at some point this year. Um, and Kansas fans are probably thrilled that actually we do have to go, I guess, down to, down to Stillwater, but like, there's just, 
that's going to happen. You're going to get caught. I don't see anybody winning this this conference with less than four losses. I think four losses is probably going to be. Yeah, I think so that's that would be, fair. you know, four, 14 and four wins it. Maybe even five losses. I don't know, but I think I would I, I would be hard pressed to think anybody wins it with less than four. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and take a look ahead. Um, obviously, the game coming up on Wednesday that's UCF. Uh, you know, down in Orlando. Um, I, I also was was incorrect on Saturday. You're actually coming back home one o'clock tip off uh, against Oklahoma, who's ranked number nine in the AP poll right now. Um, you know, a top twenty team over at Ken Palm. So. Uh, going to be an interesting, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting weekend with two different Oklahoma schools in town, one one for men and a different one for the women. But um, looking at UCF, though, I mean, I look at this UCF team and they definitely, especially after what happened to them, you know, in in their in their first conference game, like this very much feels like a team. I don't know if they're quite as bad as TCU was when TCU first came in but they definitely feel like a team that is dealing with a step up in competition that they're just not quite ready for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, their best win I think is against South Dakota state. And that was a three point win on a neutral court. Um, before then you're like, Oh, well, I mean, they lost to Miami. Can't blame them there, but that was by 16. You're like, Oh, Ole Miss only lost by two, but then you just saw Ole Miss get run out of the gym against Tennessee. And maybe they were a little fraudulent there. Uh, and then the K-State game, I mean, that's not even competitive and that wasn't competitive the whole way. And K-State has struggled to score mightily. I mean, it, it couldn't break 60 points against Chicago state. And then it's here, or it took a while to, to break 60 points, I guess they got to 62 against Chicago State and then looked like they had no problem scoring against UCF. And so, yeah, you look at the metrics that UCF doesn't shoot it well from three. They don't shoot it well from two. They're not good. Uh, they're not good at free throws. They don't really get to the line that much. They don't, you know, they're great at offensive rebounds, but they, they turn it over quite a bit. Their defense has been good, but I think a lot of that is because of the level of competition um, in terms of their their ratings and whatnot. I mean, they got a lot of teams, their games against Florida A&M and Maine and, and Jacksonville and all those. But um, yeah, I just, again, it's at home. You never know, but it just, they've already lost two home games already. It just doesn't seem like there's much there that if Kansas goes in and just doesn't completely mess around, that should be an easy double digit win. And hopefully one where you can play your, your guys like Johnny Furphy and Nick Timberlake a little bit more, which is going to be key. Like this is, there's not many games in the big 12. Like we just got done talking about it. There's not really, you don't really have buy games in the big 12. Uh, like sometimes you did. And you think of like the ACC and just where the, the bottom is just a gutter that you basically can walk in there and, and give your starters 20 minutes and rest and play at 50% speed and still win. Like there's not really, there's never really been those in big 12. That's why it's so tough. Cause every three or four days, you have another battle that you're having to play 35 minutes. And with Kansas having a short bench, being able to not have to play Hunter Dickinson 35 minutes on Wednesday when you have a top 10 matchup on Saturday would be huge. Like this is one where it would be really big for the Jayhawks to come in, take care of business, have a double-digit lead at halftime, get Furphy, McDowell, Timberlake, lots of playing time, Parker, and feel like you've got both confidence and somewhat rest health going into Saturday because you're not going to get them very often. You got to take these while you can. And I think UCF, maybe that, you know, that game against West Virginia 
that might be the only time. But again, Big 12 teams, like they're going to, you know, these are all teams with a lot of pride. There are a lot of power conference teams. Like they could scare you if you're not ready. So Kansas, I think it'll be interesting to see what their mindset is going down, you know, when you're really expected to win and win by a lot, even though Ken Palm only has this as a seven point game. I would have to guess that the betting line is, is in the double digits on this or very close to it um, when it comes out. So yeah, I'm interested to see how good uh, Kansas's kind of mentality is there um, because there's just, there's just not, they don't have many good, you know, three point shooters. There's just not, there's not really a calling card for this UCF team that you looks like they really can hang their hat on. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at what's going on here. Like if, if there was ever going to be a game where Kansas was going to hold their opponent to 40 or 50, um, this is like the game that you would expect it. Just UCF has enough problems that they are working very hard to overcome. But I mean, again, when you have this huge step up in competition, you know, and you're not able, like, yes, they could kind of recruit for coming to the big 12, but it's not like they had the name cachet, like a Houston or a Cincinnati did, or even a BYU to be able to, you know, convince people to come and join them before they move to the big 12. So like they're going to have to do something in the conference, I think in order to start bringing in the type of recruits that will allow them to be successful in the conference, which is unfortunate, you know, for them, but it's kind of just the reality of how all this works. And so, yeah, Kansas, if Kansas struggles in this game and it's not like a struggling in the second half, because you put in all the walk-ons, you know, with like five minutes left, then, uh, then there might be some things to talk about, but I'm not that worried about this game. I don't think this is one that we're going to be, um, you know, dealing with too many, too many things. We of course will be live blogging it over at Blue Wings Rising, along with the women's game um, that will be happening about the same time. So we we had our first one of those with with the Big Twelve Conference going to basically Wednesday Saturday for everybody, um, with just some exceptions for you know some some Tuesday TV windows. There's obviously the big Monday TV windows, um, but like the women aren't playing on Sundays very much at all. Uh, this year, which means that there's going to be a lot more of these where you either have back-to-back games or you have simultaneous games at the same time. So we will be covering both of them, though. Really looking forward to seeing some high-quality basketball on Wednesday night and then on Saturday as well. So, um, But that is going to go ahead and do it for us today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you give me a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just make sure you let us know what it is. We can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are, of course, part of the 1012 Podcast Network. We just added our Iowa State show, which is actually an Iowa State network, the Wide Right Natty Light uh, podcast network is joining us and so we have now just shows for I believe every single current member of the Big 12 this year go to 1012network.com so you can get links to all the great shows that we have and of course you can support us over on Patreon patreon.com slash 1012network that allows you for just $5 to support your favorite show here on the network um, that's going to do it for us today though make sure you visit our sponsors uh, Char- Charlie Hustle Clothing Company, Price Picks uh, but Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
Social Podcast Network.